I just watched iRobot two nights ago. The uh, I don't want to talk about it. You don't want to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Wendy Bowlesby and Melissa Kirscher. Welcome, dear listeners, to Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am Melissa, and I am joined, as always, by the effervescent... Wendy, hello. Hi. Down there in Austin, Texas, in the the warm, warm region of Austin, Texas. So warm. And it'll probably be even warmer when this episode goes up God knows when. So, hey, everybody. We are joined today by a most excellent co-star, a returning co-star... Duck Washington. Hey, hey. <laughs> hey, hey. You have a great DJ voice. Why, thank you. I, I think that is enhanced <laughs> by the fact that you're wearing the, the big can uh, uh, headphones. headphones. You, you look very DJ today. Well, well, I try. <laughs> very yeah, there was Johnny a, Fever, There was really. a love boat quality about that greeting as well. Yeah. yeah which yeah. is a, like, that, that's a positive modifier, mm-hmm. FYI. Right. Who doesn't oh, love the love boat? That's true. That's true. It's very true. The love boat. Soon, Soon we'll be, be making, making another, another run. Jeff Jones, everybody. <laughs> hey, we just sang. That means everybody take a drink. Yes, I'm drink. calling out the drinking game. We haven't mm-hmm. played that in forever, but it's the rules are still there, people. Indeed, and they exist for your pleasure. So uh, tonight we are drinking, and boy, are we drinking. Uh, this is an even-numbered episode, which means we've already plowed through a bottle of wine, and we're on the next one. It's true. So, uh, Wendy, what are you drinking? I am still drinking the very select low-hanging fruit. <laughs> <laughs> you, you said that was a large bottle, right? It's a super big bottle. Okay, um, okay. Like, so that's like you a You know how they make the double bottles? I feel like this might be a double and a half. <laughs> oh god it's, it's it's it is super big and i have drunk almost half of it so i have killed about a bottle of wine all on my own so okay. listeners i am doing my part excellent I'm, excellent i'm not drunk to the point of worrying about tomorrow yet but you know we're not done with this podcast yet that's right that's right i'm my uh I, i'm pretty sure my lips are purple by now so what uh duck and i are drinking right now we popped open a bottle of piatelli vineyards malbec 2014 premium reserve Ooh. yes the, the, is that like extra virgin it's premium reserve it's premium reserve and the uh, premium reserve is in gold embossed lettering yes, on a black is. background so it looks super classy Oh, I feel really classy right now, and it's a Malbec, so it 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 is uh, a very take charge sort of wine. Yeah, it's it's definitely got a, a little bit more legs than the mm-hmm. than the cab that we were drinking. Oh earlier. yeah, th- this has not ju- this is like legs like a millipede. Yeah. This is serious <laughs> legs. Is it the on. Sid Charisse of wines? Oh, maybe. 
Maybe. Although I, <laughs> I, I don't think Sid Charisse was this dry, but boy, the legs. These are some legs. Given the topic, it could be the the human centipede of wines because it has so much. Oh, oh, no. No. <laughs> oh, no. Thank you, Duck. So, dear listeners, as I a I thought lead-in, it was a wine you liked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I will just say that Human Centipede was a musical in the 2014 Fringe, if I remember right, the Fringe Festival in. Uh, Minneapolis. Let's, I, let's really stop and imagine the harmonies on that. That would be very muffled. It, it was actually. There was a song like that. <laughs> did you see it? Yes, I did. I fucking well did see it. Yes. <laughs> I did not oh see God. the Human Centipede the musical. I did not, Melissa. I love you so much. Well, I had friends involved. So anyway, um, the subject tonight <laughs> is science ethics in movies or science gone wrong. So it's I kind of a science gone wrong. Kind science of a science gone, gone wrong. Well, you know, yeah. like wrong. there's a great Calvin and Hobbes book that's called Scientific Progress Goes Boink. Yes. Which I think is like an ideal kind of outlier for the... Yeah, I, I actually have a copy of that, like, ten feet away in that direction. Because I even <laughs> picture it, like, with the pulp lettering, like, <laughs> science, gone, wrong, 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 With, with wrong, the curved, uh, kind of word art sort of lettering. Yeah, and the sort of, yeah. the, the, the explosion bubbles, right? Mm-hmm. And the, yeah. the completely random atomic symbol just kind of plastered in there somewhere. Yes, and then, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. All right, so listeners, um, this topic is inspired by movies like, oh, I don't know, Jurassic World, where <laughs> for all that it's not very good, at least they blatantly say and win our love with the, with just the line of like, seriously, you made it smarter. Who thought that was a good idea? Right. Like, why would you do that? Mm-hmm. Or like Deep Blue Sea, Smart Sharks. Yeah, because what you really want is a killing machine from from eons ago with the capability to think about how they want to eat you. Yeah, right? th- this is the that wasn't a very good idea episode, and and really we experience this in our our daily lives, right, Wendy? Oh, most of our bad decisions involve uh, uh, uh shit. I've drank a lot. Ethanol, ethanol, ethanol is the word I'm trying to say. I totally killed that joke because I'm drunk. Sorry. Uh. (laughs) For science. Science. (laughs) Okay, so um, for all that we talk about science gone wrong, there are very few atomic monsters on my list. There is... There is an outlier, but... So there is a little bit of science... Like, science ethics is probably a good catch-all for this episode. There's plenty of science in all of these selections. Yes. Just coming from different angles, like hentai... Oh, Melissa. <laughs> Sorry. Naughty. <laughs> okay, who's kicking us off? <laughs> Good lords. Duck, please save us. <laughs> All right. Um, let's start by talking about um, uh, what's probably my favorite David Cronenberg movie, mm-hmm. The Fly. Ah, um, excellent yeah. choice. Excellent this is choice. a movie I saw... Uh, as a little boy, we had gone oh to God. the... Oh, Jesus! 
We had gone no. to the we had gone to the drive-in to watch something some double feature. Okay, but they had multiple screens, so different screens were showing different movies. Was it? Was oh my it god, I remember you know, this that. Was, this was uh, where I grew up in Lansing, Michigan. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and so I don't remember what we went to go see, mm-hmm. but I remember thinking that the fly on the next screen over was way more interesting to watch. So I Probably. basically. Just watched The Fly when it was like new in theaters without any of the sound. Oh my god! Uh, which was awful. <laughs> wow. Oh. Um, cool. And I've kind of, like? I've kind of loved and been a little obsessed with, uh, with The Fly ever, ever since. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I got permission, I, I actually watched it with the sound because mm-hmm. they're like, well, he watched it. Like in the back seat, we couldn't like like it was either we drove away and didn't finish <laughs> watching our movie or we let him watch the fly back there. Mm-hmm. But like it's just like movies with scientific questions like always really intrigue me for some reason. And this one is is a huge one. You know, um, we have this this guy who has this idea to like make everyone's lives better. And, mm-hmm. You know, and they, they jump in and uh, he's a little reckless with the with the details and as a consequence ends up going into the machine with the fly mm-hmm. turns into this horrible monstrosity like that that is like the quintessential like when scientific progress goes wrong where mm-hmm. human emotion and advancement without really thinking about consequence really impacts somebody's life or impacts the world mm-hmm. um you know i think it's something that's reflexive in our lives mm-hmm. like i always wonder how much we think the world has progressed so far in the last hundred years, technology wise, science mm-hmm. science wise. Yeah. You know, I always I always think about like like how much do we we talk about the ethics of what we should be doing, you know, as Jeff Goldblum would say in his other movies, Jurassic Park, you know, oh, like, indeed. you know, you know, we just thought about if we could do it, we didn't really think if we should do it. Right. Um or standing on the shoulders of giants, right? Right. Like we we're standing on the shoulders of what other people have done. And we're just taking it to the next step without really thinking about it in the context of the whole. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a reason, or as they say in Jurassic Park, there's a reason that dinosaurs and man are separated by millennia. What <laughs> <laughs> ages. But, it, but I think what's, uh, what's really interesting about the fly is that, you know, even though he kind of jumps the gun and uh, goes ahead with the experiment before it's really ready – he at least does the ethical thing of not trying it on anybody else. He puts himself on the line sure. to do it. He, well, it, and it, if we remember the scene, yeah. he's drunk and upset. Yep. He because is drunk and upset and walks naked into a pod. And, um, and I'm all for it, really. he thinks that she's seeing somebody else mm-hmm. mistakenly, mm-hmm. Yeah. which is very human. And that's on, honestly, I find that actually kind of engaging because how many times do we do something because – we got a little reckless because we were upset. Yeah. Like, well, well I it think doesn't that's a- fucking matter. I guess I'm just going to go do this thing. I'm going to take up smoking because he broke my heart. Well, and I think I think this movie is is just one example of multiple movies where this ends up being the circumstance where you take a great a thing of great technology or great power and you put it in the hands of somebody human and their humanness is really what causes the problem. Well, absolutely. And uh, I mean, this is a, a question in like actual science, not just movie mm-hmm. science today. It's the if you are working in a scientific field, there's always this ideal to be dispassionate and kind of divorce your emotional self 
from the experiments you're doing and the the scientific method as opposed to make you step away from your humanness and just look at a problem very logically. And the fly is a really lovely illustration of a very genuinely brilliant scientist who is, you know, pretty good at separating himself Mm -hmm. from the science he's doing until he has this downfall. And that's where it all goes wrong. Once the, the humanity and the uh, dispassionate uh, world collide, that's, that's where it all gets messy and very gooey. Very, 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 there's so much goo. <sighs> this I find to be Cronenberg's most accessible film for me in that well, yeah. this is a movie that I I would watch again. It's pretty coherent plot-wise, unlike some of his others, which get incredibly arty. And yet, it's not a movie I watch frequently because it is so gross. It is very gross. But <laughs> but the thing that makes it work is not just, you know, Jeff Goldblum very being a very engaging actor on screen, but it's also Gina Davis and their relationship. The uh-huh. uh, the love story at the center of the fly is very compelling. Yeah, it's very true. Mm-hmm. Plus, you have a guy who gets his hand dissolved by fly vomit. Yes. And like, who doesn't want to see that? <laughs> and, you know, he's collecting his fingernails in a cabinet. You know, I've had days like that. <laughs> oh, God, Melissa. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't drink anymore. I've had days like that. Such a near, dear, beautiful movie. I love The Fly. (laughs) All right, moving on. Yes. (laughs) Melissa, do you want to take one? Oh, God. Uh, You know what? I feel like uh, the 80s calls for reanimator. Yes. (laughs) Really, it does. It does. I adore reanimator. Jeffrey Combs, yeah. Well, yeah. And uh, Stuart Gordon and Brian Yesna at their finest, because really they didn't do much else that was really this great. And also, uh, it, it, it hits my uh, Lovecraft fascination. I am a great fan of H.P. Lovecraft. And one of the things that fascinates me about H.P. Lovecraft in any other medium aside from H.P. Lovecraft's actual writings is that movies that are based on works of H.P. Lovecraft generally suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but movies that take the principles of H.P. Lovecraft and then run with them off into the wild, they're a lot of fun. And Reanimator is one that kind of strikes that balance. So... Reanimator is based on Herbert West Reanimator, which was a serial that Lovecraft published uh, in six parts, something like that. It was this very episodic thing. It's not. It's not great. It's kind of disjointed and weird, and it's very. It's clearly, not bad though. It's, it's not. It's th- very some, different than the movie. <laughs> there, there is some wonky stuff that goes yeah. on in in the Lovecraft story, but it's it's very episodic. It's disjointed, and it's very clearly a ripoff of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, mm-hmm. and it goes in, you know. Cthulhu direction. So the 80s movie of Reanimator is just this wonderful bonkers delight. It is um is Jeffrey Combs as Herbert West, who is this kind of um immoral scientist. He's brilliant, but he doesn't 
seem to have very much humanity in him. He's very much interested in the pure science of what he's doing. So he develops this serum, which glows in the dark, which is very handy um, for, you know, movie making because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's very iconic. So this, this green glow in the dark serum that he injects into things and brings them back to life. Not necessarily thinking about whether this is a good idea or not. And of course, it turns out to be not a very good idea. But it's delightful <laughs> in that sort of dark mayhem sort of way. Um, touch a camp. Yeah, uh, very campy. Very campy. Dark, dark humor. Mm-hmm. Um, he starts like using the serum to just randomly play with dead parts. Yep. Like this really is just somebody who's become so un- unhinged. That he's just like, look at what I can do with dead parts. Woohoo! If here's a disembodied head, what happens when I do this? So, so yeah, I'll never forget. I'll never forget when I saw. Like, I figured I was the only person who'd ever seen this movie ever, and then I saw American Beauty, <laughs> and it like reanimator was kind of like the code for. You know, like like when they were trying to to deal drugs or whatever, and he's mm-hmm. like, oh, you, you know that movie where that guy, that the headless the headless guy goes down on that chick, and I was like, oh my god, I know the movie they're referencing. Yes. I was never like like jumping in for Glee in the theater, and yeah. everyone in the theater's like, what is wrong with this kid? Why is he so excited? <laughs> because you've never seen Reanimator, like, you don't you know. Don't know. Oh. oh god, you don't know. Uh, and and of course, that is the <laughs> enduring image of the movie is. Uh, uh, from the, the so-called climax, which is the, <laughs> oh God, Fritz Weaver as a disembodied head being held by its own dislocated body, uh, assaulting a co-ed who is stripped down naked, stripped uh, down played naked. By, strapped to the, ta- strapped to the table, strapped to the table, um, uh, played by the the wonderful Barbara Crampton who goes to Fantastic Fest with us. Uh, <laughs> yes, she she's wonderful, but um. <laughs> yeah, uh, it it is a dark movie and yet very very funny. It it is one of the very best horror comedies out there, I think. Oh yeah, because oh, yeah. Uh, when it goes dark, it goes unabashedly dark, but it is also never afraid to go yeah. for the laugh. But when it goes for the laugh, it goes in the right tone. It was a very cinema. The first time I saw this movie was a very um, memorable day in cinema. Cause we rented two movies. We had never really heard of before me and a bunch of friends I went to high school with. Uh-huh. And we watched this movie, which we didn't know was going to be comedic back to back with Dr. Strange love, <gasps> which we didn't know was going to be comedic. And wow. uh, like, Bravo. like that Bravo. day will be in, ensconced in my brain as like, you know, scientific ethics, like history, mm-hmm. uh, mantra evening for forever. Oh, goodness. Oh, that's brilliant. At uh, the early days of Convergence, when I was still running the Cthulhu Coffee Room Party, Lovecraft themed, um, I used to do a breakfast thing in the room party where I'd serve Pop-Tarts and show Lovecraft movies. And the year I showed Reanimator at 9 a.m. in the morning was very special indeed. <laughs> I bet. Because people running around, wandering around at 1030, it's like, oh, what's happening in this room? Oh, what the fuck is going on? Uh, give me a Pop-Tart. I'm leaving. Yeah. Yeah. But I will say, the it does bring up the ethics of what he's doing in the movie. Absolutely. The, the other, the main character, the protagonist is like, what the actual fuck? What are you doing? Yeah. And and uh, the uh, the character played by Fritz Reaver, who becomes beheaded and, uh, you know, zombie-like and obsessed with the co-ed, is um, 
is his is the dean dean of the college if i remember right I don't he's remember. something like he, that he is he is jeffrey combs superior at the college and they're they're at uh loggerheads they do yeah. not get along but you know once he becomes a beheaded zombie he the the fritz weaver character just goes absolutely bonkers so he he's also being led astray from the pursuits of science by his own failed humanity <laughs> severed humanity his bifurcated humanity (laughs) 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 all right i'm gonna take us into a slightly more serious not slightly a definitely more serious very very go for it okay i'm gonna i'm gonna bring up gattaca 1997 okay i'm just gonna go for the full-on like this movie is literally about science ethics (laughs) that's what it's about the the entire thing is ethics it's yeah yeah so the premise of the movie, if I feel like this is a movie that has gotten a little bit lost. Yeah. Uh, an, another movie that's really terrific that got lost is Strange Days. Sorry, just that popped into my head, FYI. Ab- about the same era. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Gattaca is Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also, Jude Law. Yes. And Jude Law and Colin Farrell. Oh, that's right. So um, the movie is a future where... It's totally about, uh, you know, genetic perfection. Not that people are, people are being slightly modified, but it's also about like, you wouldn't just get pregnant. You would go for the baby that has the best genetics and implant that baby. Right. So things like poor eyesight have, are being weeded out. Like, um, any sort of mild, like, like even a, a heart valve problem or a heart murmur, th- those are being weeded out. Um, and so you're creating a class system where it, you can only get certain jobs if you are genetically perfect. Mm-hmm. Not perfect, perfect, but genetically like clean. Like eugenically superior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they actually test you before you apply for jobs. It's like, are you a designer baby? Yep. Okay. You're a designer, baby. You don't just have random shit floating around in your code. Right. And so the movie is about the Ethan Hawke character who really wants to be, can we all agree, the most bizarre representation of astronaut ever? Yeah. Do we remember that where they just sort of sit in a chair in a suit and a light (laughs) flashes by their eyes? Yeah, pretty much. I, I figured that's when the budget ran out. Yeah. Like what the, what the actual hell is that? Um, But he wants to be an astronaut, Mm -hmm. but he is one of the last of the generation of natural borns. His younger brother, who happens to be Colin Farrell, spoiler, is one of the first of the designer babies. So here is a family where the older brother is natural and the younger brother is designer and this and that dichotomy. And then that plays out later on in the plot. Mm -hmm. So it is a movie that is constructed around, well, you're not supposed to be able to do these things. You're not supposed to be gifted enough mentally or physically to handle these things. And it's also about the black market that springs up to help people who are not designer babies pass. Mm-hmm. So there's that's where Jude Law comes in and there's all sorts of play acting. And then you've got Uma Thurman, who's like the girl he falls in love with and she believes that he is a designer baby and he has to keep lying to her. Mm-hmm. And what I love about the movie, spoiler, is that the whole point of the movie is you can't depend on being bred to be exceptional to be exceptional. That intangible drive 
to succeed, the, that passion for something can count for a lot more than innate capabilities, which right. we all know. And, mm-hmm. but this is a really, this is a movie that really underscores it. Because mm-hmm. there, there's a simple thing like he and his brother, when they're little, they swim out to this buoy and the older brother always makes it and the younger bro- brother doesn't. And the younger brother's always like, I don't get it. I'm the one who's genetically superior. And of course, the younger brother's like, you always play it safe because you believe that you should make it there. Mm-hmm. And so you don't try to make it there because there's a difference. It's, so it's good. I really, <sighs> it's really, it's-, it's pure hard sci-fi in the best sense in that it is really doing what classic sci-fi does, which is take issues of science and apply them to human nature. Mm-hmm. And it is thoughtful. It is scientific. It is dramatic. It's a killer cast. And it's so good. And you should see it. And it is pretty. Yeah. And one of the things like I really love uh, about the film as well is it's just such a great illustration of how advancements in science really can impact different levels of class, which I don't yeah. think is something that we ever think about when we're like, let's invent, you know, a computer. Let's invent, you know, because like the access to that technology is really kind of necessary mm-hmm. and that, you know, different classes worth of wealth. Gives, gives people another edge up as opposed to somebody who can't afford the internet or a computer. Right. You know, I think that that's all very realistically illustrated and really in a really detailed, interesting way in Gattaca. Yeah. And I, and I think uh, Gattaca actually shares a lot of common DNA <laughs> with uh, Snowpiercer in, in kind mm-hmm. of that, that same way, because uh, while Snowpiercer is less about genetics, it's also about um, high-end science being used to separate people from each other. Like we will always find a reason to designate one group of people as better. Yeah. And then inevitably the group that is better finds life easier Mm -hmm. and it's more easy to be successful. And, and we, of course, as Americans, you know, love to talk like, this is a story that is, by the way, propping up that American exceptionalist trope in that, like, if you just work really hard, you can succeed. So on the one hand, it is propping up that trope, which, but we also know that that's not true. Like when you don't have access, it is incredibly hard to overcome the hurdles in front of you. Yeah. I want to point out that the director of this is Andrew Nichol. Yeah. Who did who did one of our favorites, Melissa? Lord, Lord of, of War. War. Lord of War is so, so great. Good. It really is so good. <sighs> so surprisingly good. Also, The Truman Show. Everybody mm, loves yeah. that movie. I could care less about that Another, movie. Oh, I love The Truman Show. But it's A Truman Show is another great scientific ethics movie. Indeed. About, you know, hey. Let's pick a guy and put him on TV <laughs> for the entirety of his life. For entertainment purposes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> that's, cr- that's fucking creepy it really like i mean that's the point of it but like when you really really stop to think about it that's extra creepy well and one of the crazy things about that is it feels so close yeah like it feels like we're so close to doing that kind of thing now you know if we could figure out how to make that entertaining for 24 hours a day i bet it would be happening oh absolutely i mean then that, that's kind of uh, back in the the day, I, I know this is still going on, but back in the days of like Anna Vogue and the, uh, you know, cam girls, you know, just leaving webcams on in their home so you could just watch them or uh, the We Live in Public project. 
Yeah. But the trick there is at least there they know they're being recorded. Right. Where Truman did not. Truman did not. Indeed. Yeah, like that's getting into issues of slavery and property. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Ooh, ooh, speaking of mm, speaking of science gone wrong and science ethics, mm. I, I'm gonna mm. throw out a throw out a pin for our listeners, Orphan Black. Ooh. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Which I still need to finish. I still need to finish. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But anyway. Okay. Orphan Black. All right. Uh who's duck? next? I think duck. Yeah. Duck. Yeah. Um I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with an animated Japanese anime film. Um, Ghost in the Shell, um, mm. which is about this uh, human cyborg female that um, is investigating this case where there's kind of this rogue artificial intelligence going around. Um, and through the process of the film, you get to start to really wonder about what what it means to be human and what it means to be alive mm-hmm. uh, and what rights things that aren't alive have necessarily. Um, she herself starts to question her own humanity. She has so many, so much of her body has become artificial and cybernetic. Um, you know, she has to wonder if, you know, if she is really human anymore or if she is a, uh, uh, something different, something mechanical, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, and, and what that means. And, and the it, question of a, what makes us human. And yeah. if it's if it's not something innately to the wetware, why couldn't a machine eventually become human? Right. And it's a uh, – oh, goodness, I haven't seen this movie. In, I, I think I saw it maybe a year after it came out and mm-hmm. I haven't seen it since. So, uh, But I remember it being just – Gorgeous. It's gorgeously it is, animated. It is, it is one of the most is, beautifully animated things I've ever seen. It, it is kind of quiet and subtle. It's very film noir. It takes a lot from film noir, yeah. if I remember right. But oh, the, it does, yeah. It, it, it is a very thoughtful, patient anime about some very deep concepts. But I thought I would I thought I would highlight it because especially if if some of your listeners might not I don't know how attuned to anime they are or not but um to me it's a it's a film that that really brilliantly highlights what a lot of movies do where they talk about machines and when we start to cross that line between something that's alive and something that's artificial and where is where is that mm-hmm. point where that thing has has rights and uh, is its own entity and what rights do we have over those beings at that point? I mean, there's, there's a zillion different examples in, in other movies like Ex Machina or other things like that. But I thought this was a good, like a little bit more obscure representation to, to, to point people towards. Yeah. I feel oh, like, yeah. I feel like Ghost in the Shell was kind of a big name movie when DVD first became a thing, just because it was suddenly easy to get hold of and it was very good to buy on mm-hmm. DVD. And then after that, it would just kind of, vanished which is very sad i mean it does i mean it's i mean it's still pretty popular i think in in the anime world too i mean i think they've had like four or five sequels to it but mm-hmm. it, when you talk anime it's one of the titles that people always bring up it's like like so it's one of the premier titles of anime yeah yeah, yeah it is it is yeah for people who aren't fans of anime it's a good entry point mm-hmm. yeah all right melissa Ooh, what'll I pick next? Uh, I think I'll go with AI next, because that is also about an artificial human questioning 
if mm. he is real. So, uh, dear listeners, you you may remember AI as being a, a colossal train wreck of a movie uh, being released in the early 2000s, if I remember I right. certainly remember it as yeah. such. Um, I don't remember so- it as being a colossal train wreck. I'm actually really fascinated by the the movie of AI. I actually, I I agree. Yeah. I um. I think there were some flaws in it, yeah. But I think there's a lot of brilliance it, it there is as a, well. It is a hot mess, but man, it is it is a smart movie. It goes for a lot of really interesting concepts. It mashes a lot of things into its runtime. And I actually and think Jude Law's performance in that movie is exceptional. It's spectacular, and uh, Haley Joel Osment is amazing too. <laughs> That's he, very he true. is just spectacular in that role so between the two of them it's it's just fascinating to watch the actors work but also um i've said it before and i'll say it again i would rather watch a fascinating failure than just a mediocre movie and this is a very fascinating failure the only the only reason it's a failure is because it as a movie ai doesn't gel together completely Mm -hmm. and there are certainly (laughs) There are certainly uh, scenes that veer wildly off course. It's like, oh, God, I wish you didn't do that. But then they're always trying to say something. And it is really shooting for the moon in what it's trying to say. So, dear listeners, if you haven't encountered AI or if you've completely forgotten about its existence, this is a script that was um, developed by Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. And he never made it during his lifetime because he figured he wasn't the right person for it. Because he's a very cold director, as we know. You know, his his movies are very distancing. And he wanted somebody with a bit more warmth to, to uh, approach the project. So he started working with Steven Spielberg, who is pretty much the polar opposite yeah. of Stanley Kubrick. And then Kubrick died. So... Spielberg had this Kubrick script and this half-finished project, and he finished it up, and that became AI. And so there are these – you watch it, and maybe 75 80% of it, you can go – you can look at it and go, this is a Kubrick film. This is – It's very cold for a Spielberg film. It's very cold for a Spielberg film, but it's also that um, like every single scene is so dense with – really intellectual meaning which is like the scenes are dense and even the the composition i think is also very in in some places very kubrick like they're so on the nose like uh there's a there's a dinner scene where the family is sitting at the table and Haley joel osmond is framed inside a light fixture because the the camera is set up on the ceiling and shooting downward at the family and the dinner table so he's literally uh, separated from the rest of his family by the light fixture. And that is so Kubrick. <laughs> I'm just going to say, like, it's clear I'm not as much in love with this movie. I think the reason it fails is because of the Kubrick-Spielberg split. Like, the oh. coldness of Kubrick makes the Spielberg stuff feel really um, schmaltzy. Oh, and I um, agree. Treakly and Spielberg trying to inject some warmth makes the the clockwork coldness of Kubrick like really obvious. And so I don't ultimately end up caring about these characters and the AI David cares too much. And it, yeah. So it just like, I know you enjoyed like watching failures and I can enjoy it 
too, but this isn't one that works for me. So yeah, it, 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 it was it was messy, but I didn't think it was an ultimate failure. Yeah, I um, I, I think it was. It, I mean, for me, it was smart enough that I could still stick through to the next scene. Whereas I I completely agree with where you're coming from, Wendy. Yeah. Like I watch the uh, Mister Know It All, whatever the the scene is where they they go into Sin City and then they find oh the they find that it's like with the, it's the like Robin, it's Robin Williams. Williams is, is like, yeah. Oh my God! It's all. Oh, it's god awful, but uh, and there are many scenes peppered throughout yeah. the the movie like that where it's like, oh, that does not work at all. But so much of the rest of the movie does work, and the concepts are so strong. I feel like I still come away with a net positive. Yeah, <laughs> and I think I think there's a through line that's difficult to weave yeah. between the scenes as well. Like mm-hmm. like his life at home is so much different than his life at like the robot like mm-hmm. you know coliseum or whatever yeah. and then they go to the vegas world and you have jude law like getting framed for murder and mm-hmm. you know and then they go underwater and meet aliens and it's like it goes there's a lot there's there's too much going on in this movie oh yeah it's, um, it's an odyssey and then there's there the third act does not sell at all yeah at all so I, I can completely understand people coming away from the movie having a really sour taste about it just because the third act just, just <laughs> it is nothing. But if you're willing to give it a chance, I feel like the third, you know, even that third act, which feels absolutely ingenuous when you kind of look at it in a more um, like a film history sort of standpoint, it's like Kubrick always had these bizarro third act yeah. to all of his movies and that weird third act where you suddenly launch into the future a few hundred years that is actually in line with a lot of Kubrick's previous films it's just that Spielberg cannot sell it right. to save his life although if you look at it with the right eyes it is obscenely creepy even though Spielberg is trying to sell it as kind of this schmaltzy, uh, very nostalgic ending for It's very this sad. Child, yeah. It is really sad and it is creepy because essentially this robot child is so obsessed with his mother that he has resurrected her from the grave for a day to lavish her love on him. End yeah, of story. She's nothing but a female to provide love. Yeah. It, and really, that's a point. He is a machine and he is imprinted. He was created to love without the foresight that this is actually a curse. This is a curse to him and this is a curse to other people around him. It's it's that kind of obsessive kind of love that knows no bounds and will never, ever let go. And that's a terrifying thing. <laughs> it's It's the red shoes. Yeah, absolutely. You will dance until you die. I also don't like that, I mean, ultimately the movie ends with the concept that the humans have destroyed themselves and the AIs have taken over. Mm-hmm. Like, really? That's where we're going? Well, that's a fucking downer. Wait, Kubrick. I will tell you that <laughs> my favorite part about AI is something that maybe people didn't know about or it's gotten forgotten. But part of the marketing for that movie in advance was an online puzzle game mm-hmm. that fostered an entire community that looked for the clues in random like it started with a poster mm-hmm. 
And then it led to random websites that had been created just to be of service for this puzzle game. Um, it was documented like the the community went through cloudmakers.org, which mm-hmm. I just pulled up and it's getting a malware flag on it, <laughs> which I'm not surprised. <laughs> Melissa, I did find an article about it and I sent that to you so you can include oh, it in the show notes. Thank you. But it was a really fascinating time. Like I was interested in AI because I was following along this community it, at the time that it was doing this stuff. I wasn't contributing to solving the puzzles because this was seriously deep puzzle solving shit. Mm-hmm. But it was fascinating stuff. And there was a whole storyline that was developing that the story that is in that solving these murders, I was like, give me this movie. Yeah, right? so I was super excited for AI. And then I was like, oh, I like this other story better. It didn't hold together well, but I will fully admit that. But I'm very interested in the movie. Still, even to this day, me as well, and I've and I've rewatched it even like it, it. Yeah, it wasn't bad enough that I wouldn't rewatch it. I own it on DVD. I've I've had panels about it at at uh, various conventions, and of uh, course you have. I have, and one one of the one of the best things ever about AI though, for about the first six months after it came out, I could walk into any room at a convention, and if I was bored, I could say. To any random person in the room, I could say, what did you think about AI? And then just watch the fireworks for like 20 <laughs> minutes in that room. It was glorious because everybody <laughs> had such vastly different opinions of the movie. It would just start shit. It was great. I loved Which, it. Which, on the one hand, you can call that a success. Yeah. Like, it got people thinking. It got people involved. Like, even if, if the involvement is, I didn't like it and here's why. It's causing a reaction like the worst critique of a movie I can ever give is it was boring and I didn't care. All right. So uh, the next movie I'm going to bring up ties in. Excellent. Um, in that it is still about what is the nature of humanity. But with a slight twist, I want to talk to you about Moon. Moon. Which is um, 2009. This is Duncan Jones who wrote and directed Duncan Jones, of course, being the son of... David Bowie. Yes. Mm. Ah. And also the guy who did Source Code, which is also a very good movie. It is indeed. Mm. I Yeah, I really like Source Code a lot. Yeah. Like, and that's another one that's kind of gotten a little bit lost. Yeah. So uh, Moon is super enjoyable because it's just uh, pretty much Sam Rockwell. And you also get the voice of Kevin Spacey, which is enjoyable. Always. So here you have this astronaut who is on the on the moon doing things for a corporation. And so this is again, much like Gattaca, like Gattaca talks about corporate America a little bit, but also this is that dystopian model of that you see in aliens as well of just, mm, perhaps we shouldn't trust the corporation because this isn't much of a spoiler. You find this out in the first act. They're cloning him. Mm-hmm. And the clones have a limited lifespan like they they decay after a while and so every time a clone is activated they are told that their tour of duty after which they get to go home is three years and they have the uh, the memories of the original and so they are pretty much stuck in a time stasis they still believe it's quite a while ago Mm -hmm. right because there's no time gap and so the the original clone goes out on a mission, gets 
trapped and they believe dies. So they activate a new clone, but then the older clone wakes up, fixes things, comes back. And the older clone is looking at the new clone and they're both like, what the actual hell? What? <laughs> and, you know, it, it's actually kind of quirky and delightful. And Sam Rockwell is at his, at his best when he's, because he's so good at being warm and likable, which is part of why he makes such a great villain, because you, you like him, but then he does shit and you're like, oh, you're evil. But in this case, he's not evil. And it doesn't, like, there's a plot and the plot is reasonable, but mostly it's interesting in terms of they've taken this person and turned him into a commodity. They've turned him into a robot. Yeah, he's a tool. He's a he's he's literally just a piece in the machinery, a tool, and they have created an entire system to keep him locked away mm-hmm. and from knowing what's going on. And the real one is down on Earth living out his life, so he's still okay. But they're creating these copies that are stuck in this loop and never get fulfillment. And is that right? Mm-hmm. But they're are they people? Especially if they're going to die after three years. Mm-hmm. But why are they dying after three years? Is it something to do with the clone or is it something to do with the environment? Uh, uh. Well, one of the things I think that's really cool about this movie, too, is in the, in the dy- dynamic of setting that up, it really makes me think about my own environment. And are there systemic things in place to keep me... Like, on task. Am I really just a commodity in my world for, you know, some corporation or some government, you know, where, like, we know if we do this, we'll keep them at bay from knowing what's really going on. Um, Not to be too conspiracy-ish, but (laughs) if that's a word at all. (laughs) I followed you there. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) But, uh, uh. You know, it, it, it kind of highlights that the, the world we're in might not necessarily, what we perceive might not necessarily be reality, which I right. always think is really kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. It, well, and it ties into like the idea of the matrix too, of like everything you know, the reality you know, isn't true. What if you are living in a constructed reality? Mm-hmm. Of course, Plato would say, we all are. We, this, that's the nature of philosophy. So it gets into deep philo- philosophical ideas, which is always great with hard sci-fi, but like, if you create a thinking person who is a copy of you, are they your property? And if they're your property, can you sell them? It's a good mm-hmm. question. It's actually yeah. a, a, a very valid question. Um, in science, you know, there's there's talk of like you can like harvest a clone of yourself and then use that for basically spare parts. The yeah. organs are going to, you well, know. Well, that comes up in Heinlein. Yeah, they in Heinlein's um, in a in his whole uh, future history novels, they grow brainless clones and they use those for body parts and they grow them brainless specifically so there is no ethics question of right. But mm-hmm. you're taking this from a person; it is literally just spare body parts that are you. Right. These are spares of you, and by keeping the brain out of it, it solves that problem, which. In that fictional reality, I'm like, yeah, that does actually solve that problem. How is it different than just growing a foot when you need a foot? Right. Mm-hmm. And and to bring it down to really ground level, I mean, this this is the sort of thing that's happening today where you have companies like Monsanto basically designing breeds of corn, yeah. designing life forms that where, um, you know, it's, it's tweaked a little this way and that 
genetically modified corn to be more resistant to uh, pests and, and all that fun stuff. But once the company develops it, it's copyrighted. Right. So it's a question of, can you actually copyright life? And we came across this a couple of years ago with the, uh, I think it was the BRCA2 gene in humans, where there was a company who developed a test that would reliably test for specific breast cancer markers. And one of them being the B, I think it, I think it was the BRCA2 gene. And they tried to patent the gene that it was targeting. It's like, that's something that humans did yeah. on their own. You can't patent that. No, and, you and didn't of course, the, make the, that. the Supreme Court did actually veto that, which is great. So, uh, so now you can actually genetically test for BRCA2 again. That was uh, part of the hot water that uh, 23andMe fell into when they first started offering the um, uh, genetic coding tests oh, where sure. they would genotype you. For a long time, they couldn't tell you whether you had the BRCA2 gene because this other company was fighting for the patent for it. You don't get to patent my genetic code, you fuckers. Right. But right. that's a great um, – going back to Orphan Black, there's a yeah. great moment in that series where they finally like – get to look at the genetic code and literally their makers have coded into the genome a copyright. Mm -hmm. This this clone is the property of... How fucked up is that? I've <laughs> got... I'm going to use this for a launching point because this goes into my final okay. movie perfectly because my final movie pick is Antiviral, which is a movie that absolutely nobody saw unless you were at uh, Fantastic Fest a couple years ago. I think it's out in the wild now so you can see it but antiviral um is made by the son of david cronenberg brandon cronenberg i think his name is um actually a really competent director antiviral is not a great movie it's very slowly paced you have to have the patience for it so it's not perfect but it's a very smart movie and the plot is amazing the world it builds is amazing so this is what antiviral is about it it is a world where it's it's near future and it has become a thing to harvest viruses from celebrities. Like if a celebrity gets a common cold, uh, a company will harvest the cold virus from them. And then people could go into the clinic and buy that virus and be infected with that same virus that uh, was infecting that celebrity. And so kind of ingesting... The celebrity in that way. I have David Bowie's cold. Right. Precisely. I have HPV from Scarlett Johansson. That's well, he really I'm... is David Cronenberg's kid. I can oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. It's like, wow. Yes, you are the Cronenberg incarnate. Yes, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Here, take your award. Oh, God. Uh, never date me. So um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's this fascinating world because it, it uh, goes into a, a lot about the cult of celebrity as well as uh, genetics, ethics issues. 
and it, it goes into who copyrights those viruses. Um, it goes into how you, um, basically put copy protection on the viruses. If, uh, if somebody tries to steal one of the viruses from the clinics, you know, it goes onto the black market. You know, there, there are, there are agents that will go out and find people with the viruses and they will be able to, uh, look at the code. And there's a, a type of, there, there are a few genes imprinted in the code that, uh, relay back information that it's essentially a copyright mark in the genes and it, it goes Wait, but all sorts codes, of wild places from there. Like how it's a virus, virus yeah. spread. Uh-huh. Have they figured out how to keep a virus from spreading? Yeah. There, there's, there are certain controls around, uh, how it spreads. Okay. And, I can't help yeah. it. I, like you have figured out how to keep a virus from spreading and this is what you're doing with it. Uh huh. Oh, it gets weirder. It's, because it's Cronenberg, it's it it is in the Cronenberg family, so <laughs> it's genetic. And uh, <laughs> there's a lovely scene where one of the characters goes into a supermarket, and at the meat counter is basically artificial meat grown from. <laughs> the genetic material of celebrities. So you can go in and play and place an order for artificially grown meat from your favorite actor <laughs> and cook it for dinner. Oh my it's- God. It's artificially grown cannibalism. Yes. It's amazing. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I know. Right. Yeah. That's it like is- straight out of existence. I swear to God. Oh like, like, yeah. yeah. That is, that is a Cronenberg. Right oh. oh God. That's fucked up it is a fucked up movie and uh the concepts it presents uh, just blew my mind i i absolutely fell in love with it not a perfect movie but a smart film and also existence uh also a movie that few people remember today because the matrix came along and kind of wiped out its memory but uh existence by the elder cronenberg also brilliant. It is very intriguing film because it it, it matches bio horror with video games and uh, and and then there's a uh, a gun made out of gun made out of teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh. <laughs> have you never seen Existence, Wendy? I have not. <gasps> oh, you got to see Existence. Oh my God. Okay, put it's it on amazing. the list. Put it on the list, Melissa. The next time we actually another, manage we to have lots of Jude uh, Law movies in this. Yeah, because it's Jude Law and Jennifer Jason Leigh. Yeah, uh, and and Cronenberg. Wow, and and it's like it's like Matrix with more goo. Yeah, Melissa like, has to eat like all the stuff off of the gun. Yeah, you and... have to eat, eat. You have to eat all the stuff off the bones, and then you assemble the bones into a gun. Of course. And then like you use your teeth and they like, become the bullets. Yeah. In the in your bone gun. Yeah. It's uh-huh. awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, God. And like and like the computer pieces that they're using to game are like umbilical are like cords. they're like organic and like umbilical in your God, body God. and like guys, no. And, <laughs> and, the, and the controller is kind of this pulsating placenta thing. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, listen, when you show me this, please Please let it be daytime. <laughs> okay, okay. I'll mark, I'll, I'll, I will put it on the list, Wendy. <laughs> Duck, what's your last film? All right. So my last film is a movie that um, would almost fit in the Cronenberg family, but is actually directed by Darren Aronofsky, which is Pi, which is the mathematical symbol Pi, um, which is about a mathematician who 
basically has decided that there's patterns to everything if you're looking at a big enough sample size. And he's kind of trying to, to create this computer to figure out a program that can kind of predict things. He's specifically trying to figure out how to predict the stock market off of basic patterns in reality. Um, in the process of doing so, he starts to realize that these patterns and codes that he's starting to be able to interpret also have a uh, a religious connotation. Mm-hmm. And he starts to get pursued by uh, corporations and religious groups um, who want the power of being able to predict the stock market. Or in the case of these Hasidic Jews that are chasing him around, <laughs> um, want to they, they think that he can tell them the name of God. Um, and it's a... It's a really good question of another question of, sure, I can find these patterns in nature and be able to predict, you know, like the randomness in a pattern or a belief Mm -hmm. or the stock market or whatever. But should is that something that we should really be trying to do? Um, And the process of it starts to affect him in some very strange ways. He has these really vivid headaches. It gets to the point where he ends up lobotomizing himself with a Mm -hmm. screwdriver. Um, Mm -hmm. A cook. (laughs) <laughs> well that that's like the the coup de grace yeah. of the movie yeah, like because yeah. Darren Aronofsky really knows how to make a pick-me-up film yeah <laughs> Pi was his first movie I think it was his first right? movie yeah. I, it's really grainy it's black it's and a, white it's all black and white yeah, it has it's, it's uh, very art school um it Let's has, remember that he followed it up with Requiem for, Requiem a, dream. for a Dream. God yeah. damn, that's um, a one-two punch. The almost all of the, like the scoring. It's like it's like a punch to the crotch. It's like it's like his only movie that isn't scored by Clint Mansell. I think because yeah. it's all like it's all like mass massive. Uh, it, no, it's, it's ma- like Chemical Brothers, and I it's, I proudly own that song. It's pretty. Really. It's pretty kick ass. Yeah, it, but it's crazy, a and it's it's an oral cacophony of. And visual cacophony the whole movie. But there's this whole sense of like, like, hey, there's this strategy. Like, like, should should I really be going down this path? And, you know, or listening to these people who are trying to direct me in certain directions. Mm-hmm. Well, and also the going back to like Lovecraft, like Indeed. when you when you glimpse the truth of reality, it will drive you mad and yep. you will realize that you're just a cog in the machine. Yeah, for the longest time, going back to my statement about Lovecraft, the best Lovecraftian films aren't based on Lovecraft, and Pi is one of them. For the longest time, I maintained that Pi is the best Lovecraft film that was never written by Lovecraft, because, I mean... they call it the Kabbalah. It's it it's the book by Mad Arab Abdul Al Hazred. Really, it is. That's, <laughs> that's very awesome. I never really thought of it that way. Yeah, it, it is so Lovecraftian. I am I am going to pivot away from this feel good film. <laughs> is this what? Oh my God, Wendy! <laughs> I'm gonna wrap us up. Oh God! I'm gonna wrap us up with the hell of a bookend. Oh God! Demon Seed. Uh huh. <laughs> 1977. When computers go bad, oh, they go oh so very bad. So imagine if Jarvis, if Tony Stark's personal home computer, looked at Pepper Potts and said, "I want to tap that." <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> oh God. Was it Julie Christie? In it is. It is Julie Christie <gasps> oh, and the husband. Oh, the husband who builds the computer at home is Fritz Weaver. 
Oh, so our second uh, appearance of Fritz Weaver in this yes, episode, too. and the original, the novel it was based on was written by Dean Koontz. Oh, that's right. I remember that now. So, listeners, the plot, this is a late 70s body-slash-tech horror film. It oh. is presented as a horror film, especially with a name like Demon Seed. I think you figured that one out. <laughs> yeah, this comes out of the same breed as Extro. But this is definitely science gone wrong because the husband has created this Jarvis-like home computer system to help his housewife um, manage the home. And what happens is one day he goes off on like a business trip and the the computer has achieved sentience apparently and is like, I don't want to be just a computer. I want, I have figured out how to breed with a human woman for the next for a cyborg right like you do um so i'm going to trap her in the house and break her down and force her to comply and that's exactly what it, like there there is no happy ending he he rapes her and she gets I, pregnant. I'm amazed that you're giggling at this, really. <laughs> she, she gets pregnant, and she has a baby that opens its eyes, and they glow, and it speaks in a mechanical voice, and that's the end. Like, oh my god, talk about your classic exploitation in terms of just, you should be afraid of computers. Well, and, I think and it's Rosemary's baby with robots, really. Yes, robot. We agreed that we would pronounce <laughs> robot. it robot. All right, robot. All right. So, robot. so I, robot. Just, I just want to make sure I get this, I just, I get this right. Like, mm-hmm. like, can't watch the movie where people do the drugs and like lose the arms, but ro- robots impregnating women in, against in, their will with, by raping them. That's a good time. Well, one of them is true. One of them happens every day in our cities. The, and the, the other raping one, of women as, by robots. And the other one, as far as I know, has not happened yet. <laughs> Also, Jarvis does kill the husband at some point because, yes, he would notice that his wife is pregnant. Like, he comes home and Jarvis, except it's not Jarvis, but that's the easiest like way to make you understand. Like, the house robot, the house so AI. So it's the house robot. Is it, is it an actual android then? Mm-hmm. No, it's an no, AI in the house. Kinda... It is literally like Jarvis. And well, so and so, what is it? How does it physically do the deed? <laughs> there are gestures, dear listeners. There are gestures <laughs> happening on this side of the microphone. There's a, of course, because he is a robot scientist, robot. creator, robot. Ro- pardon, a, ro- a robot innovator, uh, like uh, inventor, he's got a lab in the house and the AI can control everything in the house. Like the way he coerces her is there is heating elements in the floor for temperature control and it basically turns it up and she can't step on the floor. She's trapped on a table, he's baking her to death until she complies. And then she does comply willingly from there on in. And I have to, like, it is actually an interesting film in that at some point she's like, well, I can't stop this from happening. I literally have no recourse. And if I comply, like, the, like I, I don't have any, it's fascinating. I'm not saying it's, like, okay, but... <laughs> 
it's not, it's well, not pure Stockholm there, syndrome, but there is a certain amount of, let's really stop and think if you're trapped in that situation, what really are your options? So does he manis- manifest himself as like a Roomba and like, oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he creates in the lab some sort of mechanical sperm and then like there's robot arms that can do things that he can control. Okay. And so it inserts itself into her to place the seed. Yep, that happens. Like this Have is you never this seen is on it, this Melissa? is on level with Reanimator with the. It, it really is, and now I'm. That's thinking... why I kept it to the end so we could bookend with the ridiculousness. I, I, Only this one the... takes itself really seriously. Okay, so we were talking about things that could be remade. <laughs> oh come on! I mean, we have three D printing if now. If we can make human centipede, we can make this. <laughs> Oh come on! I mean, we have sex bots and three D printing. I mean, I think I think the world is ready for a Demon Seed remake. I see, Melissa, you've seen this, or at least Demon Seed Sweet. Oh, a long time. Oh, oh, God! Oh, God! Oh, Doc, you said the magic words. Oh my God! Oh, I am so excited right now. You should see my face. My toes just. I don't curled. know if you should say you're so excited about Demon Seed. A Demon Seed Sweet. A demon Swede. Demon Swede. Demon Swede. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, oh yeah. God. I'm a oh, genius. Silver Melissa, I'm so sorry. I am a genius. <laughs> all right. So after going through all of these science ethics movies... <laughs> That feels weird to say after Demon Seed. Uh, the science gone <laughs> There's wrong. There's nothing ethical there. <laughs> we we have gone deep into the depth of deep. Uh, yeah, never mind. That was going nowhere. We're so- going deep after <laughs> Demon Seed. Oh <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. Okay, I'm a, so- I'm a helper. What what have we learned, Wendy? <laughs> you know what? People <laughs> have a fucking conscience. Conscience. God, be, Wendy. Be, have a, be conscious of your conscience. What? I've been drinking. So have I. Duck, save us. All right. So I think, <laughs> I think, I think the things to take away here are that science fiction movies can tell us a lot about, like, they're, they're, they're a really great instrument for highlighting um, the things that we should and shouldn't be doing. They're really great at raising mm-hmm. questions to make us analyze the things in our life. Maybe some things that we don't normally think about. So I think like this is just the tip of the iceberg of like some of the vastness that that this category in you know encompasses. Um, and I, I think it's one of the the coolest things that our science fiction movies do is is ask you know what if or mm-hmm. you know why or should we? Yeah, absolutely. I I feel like all of these movies that we have been talking about since they are science fiction, they're ahead of our actual science and they're giving us an opportunity to voice our concerns prior to us actually mm-hmm. getting to that point. You yeah. know, and I think, I think they're really good at illustrating human fear as well. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot of these movies, not a lot of the ones that we talked about today, but a lot of the, the kind of what have we wrought kind of yeah. movies um, really like we're born out of, 
like the birth of nuclear power and mm-hmm. nuclear weapons and like the fear and the danger that was associated with that. Right. Um, and now we're starting to get a lot of movies that revolve around like the advancements in genetics and computers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it just kind of highlights some of the things that maybe we should be thinking about as as we advance so extremely fast, mm-hmm. you know. Agreed. Well, I feel like humanity, especially those, especially those who are science fiction writers who look on that bleeding edge of reality, understand that humanity is fundamentally an asshole, and we're <coughs> likely to do shit we shouldn't. So it's probably mm-hmm. good to put out some cautionary tales as soon as possible. <laughs> Come on, that's true. No, it's absolutely true. I, I'm surprised we don't have more environmental. Science well, we do. Things. They're disguised as giant monster movies. Because really, we have, what, 26 Godzilla movies yeah. at this point, And that's what they're all about, really. Hedera's a smog monster. Well, and when we go into all of our, you know, our <laughs> doomsday uh, movies, that's what those are also about. Oh, God, I love them so hard. Oh, yeah. And, well, those movies tend to go in cycles, too, because you usually get a a rash of like doomsday movies and then you get the post-apocalypse movies and then they come back around it, it, it's very cyclical movies. 2012 yes. holds up people i'm just saying <clears throat> so now comes the time when we are to recommend wonderful things to our listeners so wendy do you have something that delighted you within the last eh, few days few weeks yeah. delight yeah okay yeah, actually, um, I kind of want to call out something that we've forgotten is sort of awesome. Jigsaw puzzles. Oh, really? Okay. So you can go to the dollar store. I personally, my preferred dollar store is the Dollar Tree. And they, you can buy a jigsaw puzzle for a dollar. And like they have all kinds. Like I found Star Wars jigsaw puzzles for a dollar of like... I want to say they're like 250 piece. Maybe they're only 100. So this was something that I could do in like a half hour, 45 minutes all by myself. Mm -hmm. Relatively small. It's so satisfying and zen. And like they're pretty portable. It's not that big of a box. And jigsaw puzzles are good for the brain. Mm -hmm. Like I have on one of my weekly habits I'm trying to build is to play a game or do a puzzle one time a week. Mm -hmm. So jigsaw puzzles, listeners, I find them to be very satisfying right now. Excellent. I like it. Thank you. Duck, what do you have? So, and I'm not sure when this may, they may have had their season finale by the time this broadcasts, but uh, I've been, I've been really enjoying uh, Better Call Saul. Oh, really? Um, ah. On AMC. Um, if you're a fan of Breaking Bad at all, like I, uh, it, it's just it just plays into that world so well. At the same time, really manufacturing its own story. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't believe how how masterfully they managed to create what's basically a prequel. So I so you know what's going to happen to these characters by the end, but like. Huh. Also, make the story not necessarily about getting to that end point. Right. Um, uh, just just really in-depthly, like, strong characters, amazing performances, you know, by Bob Odenkirk and uh, Michael McKeon and, oh. like, 
like uh so many people um uh, uh in the show that are just just rivetingly brilliant um and it's it's weird cuz it's like it's not framed like almost any show mm-hmm. it takes so much time with its development of people um, even more so than Breaking Bad did. Mm-hmm. Like Breaking Bad that throws you in. And it's like, yeah, that's this guy. He's got <laughs> cancer. He's starting to crook mouth. You get that like right at the beginning. And this is a tale about how a guy becomes a shady lawyer, you know, <laughs> and it's it's nuanced and oh, it's just brilliant. I love it. Cool. I wish I had more time to watch TV. <sighs> anyway, so many wonderful things out there. So little time. So little time. And then my daughter like wants my attention. What the hell's that about? What? Yeah, yeah. It, and it takes time to plan a wedding. You know, uh, whatever. So my Your recommendation is in a week and a half. God damn it! By the time this airs, it may have already happened. It will. Have it will happened. totally have happened, yeah. Melissa. A week and a we, half. We are bridging. <laughs> The wedding line with this episode we were recording how, before. How did, how did that happen? Oh, my goodness. How, anyway. how am I getting married? Just, it's so close. It's happening. I know. It's weird. It's happening. <sighs> anyway. Okay. Any, anyway, my recommendation is a commercial. So there is this commercial. I believe Wendy sent it to me. Oh? Somebody on my friends list on Facebook sent it to me. It is a commercial for, I believe it's Carlton beer, but it is a commercial where <laughs> yes, <laughs> like five guys walk into a bar, they order a beer and they drop a duffel bag on the floor and the duffel bag, you know, falls on the floor and it it's unzipped and you see there are piles of cash in the duffel bag and they pick up their beers and they turn around and of course the entire rest of the bar is filled with cops. And the cops are also holding their beers, and they stare at each other. And the five guys go bolting out the door, and the cops go bolting out the door after them, and then it's a car chase, like a stereotypical car chase, except everybody's on foot holding beer. <laughs> so they're they're running very gingerly, trying not to spill their beer, and they're going through the, like, <laughs> jumping over hills, you know, ramping around curves. <laughs> it's uh, so good. Going into the aqueduct. Uh, <laughs> all sorts of, all sorts of Oh, uh, there's the glass, the pane of glass. The pane of glass. All these great car chase tropes, except everybody's on foot, and it's delightful. So it's just like this charming little short film, like all the best commercials are, and it's for beer. Awesome. Yay. Yay. It's it's really fun, and it's a car chase, so of course, Melissa. Yes, uh, it, of course. Only it's on foot, so that's special. We will link it in the show notes. Show notes. Do we need a show notes theme song you know what maybe we do maybe we do just like show a little notes. stinger show notes and like yeah. a uh a, a glissando of some sort Broop. kind of like the the audio representation of glitter the show notes soon we'll be making another <laughs> note the show notes some sort of audio representation of a glitter ball like yeah. of a, a disco ball show notes i feel like chad dutton could do that for us oh chad is the man totally yeah okay so 
that about wraps it up for us tonight, dear listeners. So, uh, how do I wrap up an episode? Um, that's right. <laughs> that did not. That did not go as planned. <laughs> Melissa, take us on yeah, home. Okay. <clears throat> well, thank you for joining us, dear listeners. I have been Melissa, and down there in Austin is Wendy, who is fabulous as always. Oh, stop! Stop! Oh. It says you. You're fabulous. You're fabulous. No, you're fabulous. I'm spectacular. You are. Oh, mm. And you too. You know who also is fantastic? <laughs> Duck that is fantastic. Duck. Duck is fantastic. Why shucks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, y'all. Thank you for joining us, Duck. <laughs> Thank you for having me. And Duck, you've been our magical Negro. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a callback. <laughs> that is a callback so to last episode. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> So, I'm blushing a little bit down here. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, after you live in Texas for a couple more years, you won't have that shame anymore. So anyway, <laughs> thank you for joining us, dear listeners. We will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just staring at my wine. <laughs> I'm going to put that on a quote on something. You're our magical Negro, Wendy Bolton. <laughs> <laughs> you need a badge ribbon for Con. Oh, yeah, I do. Oh, my God. I'm your... writing that shit down, man. I'll be your magical Negro. <laughs> this will probably... Obviously, the badge ribbon needs to be black. Oh, God. oh yeah. You know, Wendy, this will probably look like a m- much worse idea when we're sober but I'm writing that shit down right now <laughs> oh come on that's brilliant perhaps awful but also oh, brilliant it's brilliant I agree really awful well if we if we only give it to black people it'll be <laughs> <laughs> what did I walk into <laughs> Fess is only hearing half this conversation. <laughs> well, two thirds. <laughs> I don't think any amount is enough. Oh god. Oh god. <sighs> or for everybody else, it could be I'll be your magical Negroni. <laughs> uh, I made I made an alcohol joke. I know that's so weird. <laughs>